it's for breakfast. <laughs> good? No good? Good, huh? Do you know that there is this very common activities in every camp for the past 20, 30 years? When you compare all the camp timetable of any church, there are certain activities that are always present. It's all there, all the time. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Why must we eat? There was this missionary who wanted to go up to the mountains to minister to the Lord. But where he went, he realized that he had no time for food. So he would go up there from Tuesday to the Lord's Day, ministering to the people. And so he determined to eat on Monday non-stop for eight hours. And so he would cook a large pot of rice. Then he would sit down in the morning and he will consume the entire pot of rice until evening. Because that pot, to his own mind, his own reasoning, would be the dinner, breakfast, lunch that he would eat for the entire week. And so he would eat one meal for eight hours on Monday, which was supposed to last him from Tuesday to Sunday. And then on Monday, he would repeat the same process. I think that would be a good thing at the camp too. <laughs> Tell every member to eat non-stop on Saturday, and then from Sunday to Monday, we will have a new camp timetable where these breakfast, lunch, and dinner could be easily deleted, and we will have more time to do whatever we need, spiritually speaking. What do you think? <laughs> that missionary passed away. His body could not take it. God did not design this physical body to eat one meal to last a week. It has to be a day-to-day -day consumption. This is our physical body. But you and I may laugh. However, that seems to be our spiritual diet, isn't it? We eat one meal, and then we assume that that meal will last us for the entire week. And we don't even uh, sit there to eat for eight hours because on Sunday, the message may be less than an hour long. And we seem to feel that that one hour max on Sunday is supposed to be enough to last me until the next Lord's Day. But that seems to be the way that we are eating as far as our spiritual body is concerned. And then we fail to remember that this physical body is grass that will wither and flower that will pass away. And yet, this physical body that is temporal, we take such good care of it that we eat at least three times a day to make sure that this body is healthy, to keep it going, to keep it functioning. And yet, when it comes to the spiritual body that is supposed to be eternal, we starve it. And we eat only once a meal per week, thinking that that is how God has designed the spiritual body. And the end of it, when Sunday comes, the amazing thing is you don't even feel hungry. We look at Sunday as if it is a burden. 
Whenever we look at the word of God, it begins with the idea that it is a chore. There is no taste, there is no delight in it. But as far as the physical food is concerned, there are people who will do whatever it takes to taste a particular dish. Some church members share with me from another BP church, not Calvary Pandan, and they are in the east, that means near Changi side. And they share with me, Reverend Pell, do you have time or sometimes in the evening, you know, about 10 p.m.? I say, what well, 10 p.m., what do you do? Well, sometimes when we feel like here, a group of us, although we stay on the Changi side, we will drive and cross into Johor. You mean you'll drive all the way to Woodlands, bring your passport, cross over, and what do you do? There is this abalone noodle soup. <laughs> Very delicious. And it is only about 10 to 15 ringgit. And if you divide that by 2.5, which is our Singapore currency, it's only a few dollars. And so we will drive from 10 p.m. across the causeway, and hopefully at that time there will be no jam. And then we'll go in there, and you'll be amazed to see so many Singaporean cars there. And then we will have our hot, delicious abalone noodle soup. It could be dry or it could be soup, it's up to you. And then we will stay there until maybe about 11 plus, and we'll come back about midnight. So, how everyone you want to join us? I say, no, thank you. They will go to that trouble to just taste that abalone noodle, dry or soup. And they are not the only ones. There are people who will queue up just to taste a particular dish, whereby the store is only open from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. But it has a reputation that if you taste this, it is out of this world. And then you'll be amazed that at 2 a.m. when you go there, people are queuing up. We are prepared to bend backwards to satisfy our taste buds. But what has happened to our spiritual taste buds that we find the lamest, slightest excuse not to study God's Word? It doesn't make sense. So how to be a chosen generation for God in a time such as this, when our priorities as far as feeding ourselves are inverted? We care more for our physical body, which is temporal, which will fade away, which will wither, and which will die. But the inner man that is supposed to be born again in Christ Jesus, we continue to let it shrivel, we continue to starve it, as if it is all well with my soul. Now we sing hymns. We talk about godly homes. We talk about the Lord is my shepherd. Is he really? Is he really the only one in your life whereby he means everything to you that if you were to take away everything else from my life, you have taken nothing. And therefore you can take away everything and I will have lost nothing because they are nothing. Because otherwise, Satan would know the Lord plus something else. The Lord plus someone else. And when that something else or someone else is discovered by the evil one, he's going to use that something else or someone else. It could be your job. It could be another person that means more to you than the Lord. You're not going to care much about the Lord because the way that you care about the Lord is through his word. 
pastors and elders say to you, don't look at me, I'm not perfect. Look at Christ, Christ is perfect. Have you ever heard people say that before? Have you used that before? I hope not. When leaders use that phrase, they are basically preparing you, preparing the congregation. Don't expect a very high standard of living from me as a pastor, as an elder. So they are already preparing you to lower your standard and expectation of his life because he is now preparing you to sin. He is preparing you so that he can sin, he can love the world because he now tells you, don't look at me, look at Christ, Christ is perfect, I'm not. All right, fine. Ask him a question in return. All right, you are right. I'm going to look at you, I'm going to look at Christ. Please tell me, where do I find Christ? Or I want to look at him. You tell me, where do I find Christ on this earth? Did Jesus not say that after a child of God becomes a child of God, he is immediately the light and salt on the earth? And then immediately the Lord Jesus says, by your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. That means by your life that you do as a child of God, they are supposed to see Christ. So where are the world supposed to see Christ? In you. That's where they're supposed to see God. That's what a chosen generation is all about. You are a walking image of Christ. Every time you tell people, I am a Christian, you are basically putting a stamp on your forehead and tell the world, look at me and you're going to find the Savior. And you cannot if you do not continuously consume spiritual food. Because the Word of God is that which will give you the mind of Christ. And when you have the mind of Christ, you're, think, you're thinking everything about you. What is important, what is not important, will be Christ-like. And that's how they're going to see Christ in you. The places you will never step foot into, the places that you will only go into. The kind of words that come out of your mouth, the kind of words that will not come out of your mouth. The dressing, everything about you will be Christ-like because now you have the mind of Christ. And that cannot happen if you do not study God's Word. I know of an elder who was very, very proud of this statement that he goes around telling people. I first heard about it during a board of elders meeting, where he says, I'm not interested in theology. And then after that, he went around and telling other church members as well, I'm not interested in theology. Theology means there was God, or was it to study? How can a person say he is not interested in theology unless he is not born again? That person, that elder, attended the church camp in Pandan once. But then after that, he never attended the church camp in Pandan ever again. Because very similar to your church camp, after every message, we have a discussion. And during the discussion, every session member is expected to leave the discussion group. And then later on, I was told, a few years after his first experience at Pandan Church Camp, I was told by the group that he was supposed to look after. During the discussion, he excused himself and he said, I, my stomach is not feeling well, I need to go. And that stomach problem he had only occurred during discussion. Because for the rest of the camp, from the first day to the last day, our camp starts on Monday 
we break camp on Saturday morning. He never returned. He never returned at all. So another group leader, another person took over the group leader position. And that was the elder who went around telling people, I'm not interested in theology. And now I understood why he never liked to attend church camp. Because his ignorance will be exposed. You cannot be a chosen generation for God and hide behind your lack of knowledge of God's word and just go around as if all is well. You are not well with God. And you better be aware of it. You are not a mature Christian by just simply sitting down and letting your hair turn white or drop off like in my case. <laughs> You're not a mature Christian. The Bible says, a man with a hoary head with understanding is wise. A man with a hoary head is just a man with a hoary head. That's it. Because he doesn't have understanding, he cannot be called wise. And the understanding used in that verse refers to a man who understands God's word and lives it out in his life. And that cannot be done if you do not consistently, day by day, feeding yourself. Day by day. It has to be a day by day consumption. There are three things that the Bible tells us to do without ceasing. Studying the Bible is not one of them. God understands. Because there's no way you can concentrate non-stop for eight hours, solid, just sit there and study and study. We are human beings. You know I'm better than the Apostle Paul when it comes to preaching. Do you know that? When the Apostle Paul preached in the morning, it took him so many hours before somebody slept and then fell down and died. <laughs> I can put a person to sleep in five minutes. He took eight hours. <laughs> so I'm better than him, isn't it? Don't you agree? Because very often you find people, in five minutes the moment I start opening my mouth, so if I retire, you can take all the messages and Give it free. Don't have to sell. Give it free to those who suffer from insomnia. <laughs> All right? At least it will do some people some good. Within five minutes, they fall asleep. The Word of God is life. The Word of God is so satisfying to the soul that you must taste it. And once you've tasted it, it is so delicious and the thrill that comes into your heart when you search the scriptures and when you ponder over the scriptures after so many hours. And then finally, you find the meaning of that text. The thrill in your heart is to be experienced in order for you to understand what it means. No words could fully capture and describe that experience. Have you ever had that before? It's just like a person who has tasted some delicious food that he's prepared to pay anything to taste that delicious food. Do you know how? what is the most expensive plate of, how much it costs the most expensive plate of chicken rice? 30,000 US dollars. You know why? Because this person from one part of America flew his plate of chicken rice from another state in America across the whole of America just to eat that expensive plate of chicken rice cost him the airplane or whatever he chartered the plane and then to get that food there hot and steamy and nice. I don't know how he did it. It must be delicious. It must have caused his taste buds to dance. Isn't it? I mean, it 
So what we do in the prayer to you must eat very slowly, chew very carefully, because every mouth is a thousand bucks. I mean, right? I mean, how you do it early, isn't it? But what about our spiritual? Don't you feel that you are hungry for spiritual food? If you are truly born again, how can you not? And so I hope that you want to be fed spiritually. But to do so, it must be on God's terms. One of the things I observe in Australia or in many other countries nowadays is that when the person serves the food, they wear those plastic gloves. Why do they do that? Especially when they do not use a tong or, or a ladle. Especially when they use their hand to pick up that slice of bread to put it on your tray or to give you some burgers, some meat. If they are supposed to use their hands, they must wear the glove. Why can't they just use bare hands? Would you mind if somebody uses bare hands to pick up the piece of burger and put it on your plate? Would you mind or not? You mind? You don't mind, right? If you know that person is your mom, of course you don't mind. Huh? If it's a total stranger, would you mind? You mind, huh? Especially if you look at his hands, there you go, those black stains all over it. And his fingernails, you know, it's long, and inside his fingernails, you have those dark, dark stuff. And then as you're about to get your food, you punch. <laughs> Correct? You mind? You mind or not? You mind? Why? Why? Because once you get in, it goes out. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> what in your mind? It's all in the mind, isn't it? Why should you care? But somehow, if you see a person, and then that plate of buffet, that dish on the buffet table, you don't want to go near. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Because that's what my son told me. Then one of our church camps, there was this boy who, I think he was a little autistic. And so while he was getting his food, he doesn't know he's autistic. So he was getting his food, I think he was about 14, 15 years old. And then you know when he sneezes, then my son was <laughs> I said, why was the dish? Then he complained, that the boy very naughty, you know, he I said, son, you know the boy, he doesn't know, he just hachi. Never mind, I just eat. I didn't touch the dish, that I don't want to go to the queue, I went to another queue. <laughs> what about spiritual food? You think that dirty hands can be used to take up spiritual food? God says, not possible. That's why verse 1 of chapter 2 says, Wherefore, laying aside, before you talk about as newborn babes desire the sincere meal, we have to start laying aside. You've got to make sure that the vessel that is supposed to receive the word of God is clean. Otherwise, it will not go well in your digestive system. You must get rid of everything that is dirty. Otherwise, it will not work. No matter how you memorize, no matter how you try to study, it will not go in. The Bible warns us that understanding from God's Word comes from God. That is correct. That is why if a person can understand the Word of God, can explain the Word of God that is so simple and so clear after this explanation, it's from the Lord. There is nothing to be boastful, there is nothing to be arrogant about, it comes from the Lord. However, in this passage, 
We are not saying that understand does not come from the Lord, but this passage speaks of the human responsibility on your part and on my part as the word of God is being given to us. There is a human responsibility part. And this is where the emphasis comes, and that's where the laying aside has to be on your part. I can't lay it aside for you. Even if you allow me, I can't do it for you because it is your life. The dirt is on you. I can't clean it for you. It's on you. You have to do it conscientiously and consciously all the time. Remove it, put it aside. It's like somebody holding something in his hand before you can take the same hand to take up something that is good and clean. You're going to let go of the old one. You cannot hold on to both. You're going to let go of the dirty ones before you can pick up the clean. And that's why verse 1 comes first before verse 2. You're going to take off, lay aside, let go, remove it, put it away. What are the things you're supposed to put it away? All malice. Anything that is wicked, anything that is bad, that stands from within your heart, that will hurt another person, you let it go. You don't even think about it. Don't have to talk about doing it. Don't even think about it. Malice. Anything that is bad or wicked that you plan to do to somebody else. Whether believer or unbeliever, it's all included here. Malice. That is the way of the world. When the person cries, you laugh. When he laughs, you cry. When he is successful, when he gets promoted, you get jealous, you get upset. That is the standard of the world. That's the normal reaction. But for us, God says, as children of God, wherefore, based upon be holy, be fearful, be loving, and to sustain all these three in a way that is right and God-honoring, you must have God's word. And that cannot come when your heart is still filled with malice, badness, wickedness, hoping to see somebody go down instead of helping others get better and becoming better than you. If necessary. That is the new believer. That's the new heart. Malice is the enemy in your soul now. It used to be a very, very friendly companion of the old man. Because the old man, when you want to be number one, you will stomp on anybody. You want others to fail so that you can be first in class. But the new man says otherwise. And you have to now drop it. Let it go completely. All God, decoy, delusion, entrapment, craftiness, God, very deadly, worse than lies. A person who is full of God is a person who is full of deceit. They will manipulate the facts and the data and rearrange them in such a way whereby they know you will arrive at the wrong conclusion. That's God, isn't it? Entrapment. A liar is a person who just lies to your face and he just did it. But this person, because of his, of his gall and his deceit, what he says is not wrong because it will still contain certain facts. But it is the rearrangement of facts and the exclusion of certain facts that make him very deadly and dangerous. Somebody sent a secret letter to the criminal CPIB. 
Corrupt Practice, I think, Corrupt Practice Investigation Bureau, CPID to Singapore, saying that Dr. Toh and I stole money from the church. Similar to what you find in the Kong Hee case, which is now resurrected yesterday, there was a whistleblower, and then the CPIB investigators investigated, and then when they found that there was evidence enough to take them to task, their homes were raided. Normally, it would be in the wee hours of the morning, 3, 4 a.m., you hear your doorbell and the banging of door, and your blurry eyes wake up, and then you open the door. Before you knew it, everything inside your house, the computers will be confiscated, and they will keep it, and they're going to dig and dig and dig and do whatever it takes to see whether whatever they found that is of any criminal nature, they will hold it against you, and then they will take you to court. And so they did the same to me and to Dr. Tope. I did not know it until one day I received a letter from the internal security, not the, the IRS, Internal Revenue. Because I still stay in my HDB flat. At that point in time, Dr. Tope and I were the only directors of this private limited company called Reformation Banner. Now, I did not declare that I was a director. I did not declare to the IRS at all. The reason was, I asked the account clerk in our office, in church, do I have to declare? I said, no need to declare, just do as per normal, ignore this. And so the letter came. They asked a few questions. Because to be two directors, the private limited committee, uh, private limited company, the shares were worth about 140,000 sin. So split into two, Dr. Tu and I each owned about $70,000 worth of shares of this private limited company. So the first question was, where did you get the money to buy these shares? That's number one. Do you receive director's fee? Number two. And then a few others. So I called them up and I said, what do you mean? What do I have to do? So I explained everything to them, to the person whose name was there on the letter over the phone. This money came from an Australian lady who died. And she wanted to use this money for the literature ministry of Reformation Banner. And so the Board of Elders of Pandan has decided to start this private limited company under the church in honor of the name. Of what she wanted to do with this money. And the Board of Elders have decided that Dr. Toh and I should be the only Board of Directors because I, as a pastor, is supposed to check all the publication and the literature that comes out anyway. So they say that I should be the insider director, so therefore I became part of the Board of Directors. How much did you pay? I said $1. Any directors here? I said none. I also told the person that in the event of a dissolution of this private limited company, whatever assets that remain will be distributed among the three congregations of Pandan, Tengah, and Juro. And all these were in writing. Then the person said, all right, fine. Please send all the documents to ascertain what you have just said. And so all the documents were sent, and it was closed. But Dr. Toh, it was a little bit more complicated. Because at the time, Dr. Toh was both pastor and also gynecologist. Thank God he had an accountant 
And so he was also queried, but he had a lot more to answer because of the complication. But thank God, the accountant answered all the questions and all the queries, and it was clear. The person knew. The person knew where we got the money. The person knew everything. And yet the person would send a letter to the CPIB, manipulating the facts and the data in such a manner in order to get us into trouble. That is why it is so important for us as Christians to be squeaky clean in every area of your life. Because you do not want Satan to find it, because he will. He will have all kinds of people who resort to whatever it takes to take dirt on you and to destroy you. But for us on our part, we must never, never go down to their level and wrestle with them like pigs in the mud. We must make sure that God must not remain in the heart of a child of God. Because the moment you have a seed of God, no matter how small it is, even as tiny as a mustard seed, it will surface. That is why you have to cast away, put away all of God. Don't let even the slightest bit. Let yourself be a man of truth, in other words. That's the opposite of it. Always tell the truth. Don't manipulate the facts. Don't doctor it. Always tell the truth, whatever the cost. That's what we told our lawyers in the case with Life Church against FEBC. Please don't win at all costs. Under no circumstance must we ever, ever tell lies. If the facts are against us, so be it. But never, never tell lies. Always, please, always, always be truthful. Because the real trial is not in the court of man. The real trial is before God. And if we ever tell lies just to win, we have no one, we have lost. Let all God be laid aside by God's people. And then the next, dirt, hypocrisy. Have you ever watched the Academy Award before? You know the Academy Award? Best actor, best actress. You know, you don't have television here. <laughs> I mean, you're never, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know the Academy Award. Academy Award, is every year there's this annual Academy Award where people will elect the best film, the best actor, the best actress, etc., etc., from Hollywood. Right? That's it, right? Do you know what actually is the Academy Award? I call this the award of the best hypocrite. Because everyone in the room, everyone in the big, big dining hall, all of them are actors. They all pretend to be somebody that they are not, right? And then they get all the rest of the hypocrites to choose who is the best hypocrite among all of us. <laughs> and so when the person is given the award, actually, they say, thank you, thank you, thank you, that you all consider me the best hypocrite for this year. That's, that's exactly this word, hypocrite. Pretending to be somebody that you are not. And that's what actors are, exercise, isn't it? The person going to the surgery theater and then operate this person, operate this person, and the person has never even gone to medical school one second in his life. And then now he acted as a surgeon, a famous surgeon, and then now they give him an award for behaving, for acting the best surgeon when he has no knowledge of what surgery is. Correct? Same for a pilot, same for whatever you can think of. That's it. 
So what about BPCWA? Who will get the award this year? <laughs> who will get the award this year? Are you who you are? Or are you putting up a front? That's what hypocrisy. Pretending to be holy and you are not. Pretending that all is well with your soul. But in reality, inside your heart, you are in turmoil. That is a typhoon that is wrestling around you. Everything around you is mess. But then you come to church as if all is well. You smile, you talk the talk, you use the right Christian jargon, you dress correctly, you carry the same Kingdom's Bible like everybody else. And then you seem to sing with all your heart, just like that person that Brother Joseph highlighted. But everything was well until he committed suicide. What about us? Hypocrisy. Please don't treat this as a trivial matter because I think all of us can be awarded because we have an entire life to practice it. Since we were in primary school, we all are very good in pretending. True? But you and I know hypocrisy is one of the greatest stumbling blocks to many, many people's lives especially the ones dearest, closest to you. You think your children are blind? Mommy, Daddy only talk about Christ on Sunday. Mommy, Daddy only sing about Christ on Sunday. Mommy and Daddy only open the Bible on Sunday. But from Monday to Saturday, Mommy and Daddy don't even talk about Christ. Mommy and Daddy, they don't even pray with me. Mommy and Daddy don't even tell me about the love of Christ. But mommy and daddy is a Sunday school teacher. My daddy serves as a chairman of the fellowship group. But at home, they don't talk about Christ. They don't tell me about heaven. They don't warn me about hell. All they care about is how I must study hard. All they care about is my results. They don't pray with me. They don't pray for me. And then when they grow up to become 16, 17 years old, all they care about now is study. Prayer? No. And so they become like mom and dad. And so on Sunday, they also continue like mom and dad. Talk about Christ, sing about Christ. But from Monday to Saturday, another facade comes on. It's like two different worlds, a split personality. Until one day, the child gets fed up. I don't want to pretend anymore. I want everyone to know because I can't take it anymore. This kind of pretense is too, too difficult. And so they just simply say bye-bye to the church. Now they are in the working world. They will put their heart and their soul into the world to get whatever they could out of this world as far as materialism is concerned. Where do you think the blame should begin? Mommy and dad. What have they just done? They have just been the best hypocrites to their own children. And the scary thing is, they didn't even know it. And they have been doing this for the past 20 plus years. And the victims are their own children. Hypocrisy is not a trivial sin. The danger is because it is so common. You think it is trivial, but it is deadly. All malice, Wickedness, badness in your heart, in your mind, drop it. 
Beguile, deceit, drop it. Hypocrisy, drop it. Don't pretend. Because there's no way you and I can pretend with God. And God said, please don't pretend. You are my son, you are my daughter. Don't pretend to be somebody that you are not. In reading Spurgeon's life, and what Spurgeon said is very true. At the Lord's Supper, there were two vessels. One was a chalice that the Lord used at the Lord's table that he passed around to the disciples to eat. The bread and the cup, to drink the cup from. Then there's the other vessel that Jesus used to wash the disciples' feet, the basin. Which are you? The basin or the chalice? Spurgeon says it does not matter. If God has called you to be a chalice, fine, just be a chalice. Don't pretend to be a basin. If God calls you to be a basin, fine, let's, let's all be a basin. But don't pretend to be a chalice when you are just a basin. There are some whose ministry will thrust them in the limelight. Be a humble servant of the Lord in the limelight, like the chalice. Because the Lord calls you to be a basin to serve in the background. When nobody needs to notice you, it's okay, just be a basin. But don't pretend to be what you are not. Are you truly born again? Are you truly a child of God? Then be a child of God. Don't pretend to be one when you are not. It doesn't matter how old you have become. It doesn't matter whether you're a graduate of FEPC, whether you have strings of degrees. All these are useless. Don't be impressed by degrees. It's useless, literally useless. We need them because in order for FEPC to be recognized by the Ministry of Education, in order for us to offer the master's program and the doctoral program, the faculty must have all these paper qualifications because that's exactly what they are. It means nothing. If you are not born again, you can have all the doctrines of theologies you want, you can memorize the Bible in Hebrew, Arabic, and Greek, and you will still end up in hell. Please, don't be a hypocrite. Whatever the Lord calls you to be, you just be humble. Be what the Lord has saved you to do. No hypocrisy, and therefore no envies. Envy comes from a root word that has the idea of corruption, spoil, ruin. Because that's exactly what it will be. When a person is envious of another, he wants the other person to end up in ruination, in destruction. That is, the outcome. And that is why Peter has to include envies inside. Don't be jealous of one another, please. Please. The church celebrated their 100th anniversary. It was supposed to be a happy occasion. It's 100 years old. Still around. Still people coming to church and worship. 100 years old. Should it not be a happy occasion? And so they printed a commemorative magazine to remember the 100th year of this church's existence. And so that evening after the worship service, everybody was happy, sharing, fellowshipping, and then suddenly there was a commotion right in front. And then everybody stopped, whatever they were talking about, and they all turned their attention to the front. And lo and behold, you have a group of leaders pushing, shouting, raising their voices at one another at the end of the 100th anniversary worship, Thanksgiving worship service. You know what was the problem? One of them was very unhappy that his grandfather, who was one of the founder members, was not 
mentioned inside the magazine. Other founder members were mentioned. His grandfather was not mentioned. And so he raised his voice and he created a ruckus, a disturbance. So much so that now, after a few years have gone by, every time when they think of the 100th year commemoration, Thanksgiving service, what do you think will come to everybody's mind? That commotion. A happy, happy, joyous occasion that was supposed to be filled with Thanksgiving is now just a memory of pain and hurt and jealousy. Why must your grandfather be mentioned? Why can my grandfather be mentioned? If the grandfathers know, the grandfathers will be flipping, flipping in their coffin. <laughs> you think they care? The grandson was upset because if my grandfather is in there, mentioned there, at least the grandson may rub off a little bit of the grandfather's distinction onto him. Right? That's basically reason. You think he cared for his grandfather? Come on. He was more concerned with himself. Envy. Inside God's house. Publicly, shamefully demonstrated from the Bible leaders. Envy. Does this characterize this church? Does it characterize you? A person who is envy of people to no end. Jealous of this person, jealous of that person. And because of that, you're going to have clicks. You're going to form clicks. Because you're going to spread. This person no good, this person no good. And then before you knew it, you're going to have a gang of yourself trying to run down and destroy this person's life. What did the person do? Absolutely nothing. All the person wanted to do was to do his best to serve the Lord. And all you care about is to bring him down. It is a very deadly, deadly sin. That third, drop it. God says, drop it. You can't feed yourself with so much filth inside you. Your hands are so dirty. How can you pick up spiritual food? Clean them up. And finally, all evil speaking. Evil speaking. Gossips. Manipulating of facts and data by your words. Evil speaking with one agenda to hurt and to destroy. Very, very common nowadays, evil speaking. Spread lies, confuse the issue. When we started the defense of the perfect Bible, evil speakers spread rumors saying that Reverend Quack and Dr. Jeffrey Poole have been teaching that those who do not read the King James Bible, they are not born again. Implication? Entire Mandarin-speaking congregation who do not speak English, they are not born again because they don't use the KJV. Who in their right mind would teach something so ridiculous, so stupid? And yet, this kind of evil speaking from evil speakers spread. And so people get angry. People stop thinking. Somehow or rather, evil messages can catch hold on people's hearts and minds no matter how dumb how stupid they are. Somehow, people just like to find fault. No matter what. Somehow, people love evil speakers and the evil words that come out of it. Please, don't let it emanate from you. We didn't say you cannot share, cannot warn. The Apostle Paul warned. He warned Timothy, be careful of Philetus and Hymenaeus. 
They have loved the world. Be careful of Alexander. I've handed him over to Satan. He even named them. But let it be based upon truth, not based upon evil speaking. By all means, warn. But not based upon distortion. It's stated as it is. Not evil speaking. Just to assassinate a person's character in order to promote yourself, promote your position, promote your erroneous view. Whatever it may be, drop it as well. And then if you have done that, then the desire for food <coughs> will be lost. Because you cannot have that kind of desire where God will satisfy you if verse 1 is still very, very closely attached to your soul. You have to cast it off, lay it aside, put it away, drop it like a hot piece of potato. Drop it. Then, as newborn babes. You know what a newborn babe, right? This word newborn literally means just came out of the mother's womb. Just came out of the mother's completely, totally helpless. As newborn babes. The word desire is a very special word. It means intense yearning like a just newly born baby. Inside the mother's womb has never, never tasted the mother's milk before. The moment the baby cries, the first thing the doctor will do is to give the baby to the mother and start feeding the baby. That kind of intense desire. God says, you and I must have when it comes to the word of God. And don't let this intense desire wane. You know, there's only one kind of baby on this earth that will not want mother's milk. You know what kind of baby, right? A dead baby. A dead baby that came out of the mother's womb and the baby is dead. No matter how delicious the mother's milk, no matter what the doctors and the mothers want to do, the baby will not drink. So let me ask you one question. What kind of spiritual baby would have no intense desire for God's word? Because the milk here is the word. Sincere milk of the word. So what kind of spiritual baby will have no desire, no desire at all? We're talking about intense and no desire at all for the milk of the word. A dead baby. That means not born again. You mean a person's desire for God's truth can become a clear evidence that a person is not born again, that's exactly what the Bible says. Not what the church says, not what I say, that's what the Bible says, isn't it? As newborn babes desire the sincere, the word sincere means the opposite of God. No God, good, pure, clean, healthy, milk, which is the word. So you ask yourself one very simple question. Don't be like the elder who says, I am not interested in theology. I'm not interested in the study of God's word. That means this salvation is a big question mark. I'm not talking about a young elder of 30s. He is a senior elder in his late 70s. He has been an elder for decades. And then he has this lack of desire for the word of God, salvation, this is not a joke. This is revealed to us by God so that none of us should be caught in a state of shock 
When you stop breathing, you find yourself in hell. When everybody in church thinks you'll be in heaven, when everybody expects to find you in heaven. These are very, very good verses that God revealed to us before it is too late for us. Because if God holds back all the verses that talks about the evidence of salvation, you are now in serious trouble. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked and it is deceitful who can know it. We live in the last days where the Roman Catholics call themselves Christians. The Charismatics call themselves Christians. Everyone call themselves Christians. You know how hard to find a Christian today? Everybody seems to call themselves Christians. Before you can even share the gospel, oh, I'm already a Christian. And the person just walked away. That is the result of the ecumenical movement. And to your point, to to your ears for your information. Many of them are not. The question is, are you? Many of them may not be. The question is, are you? That's the crux of the matter. Ask yourself, do you have a genuine, sincere desire for the Word of God? Turn with me, please, to Matthew 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the best sermon on planet Earth. Preached by the best preacher on planet Earth the world had ever known, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The Sermon on the Mount. It began with the Beatitude, eight of them, summarizing the life and journey of everyone who is born again. It begins with the bankruptcy of spirit, culminating in a life of witness, which will result in persecution. And then the Lord Jesus Christ warns anyone who is born again, from now onwards, you are to be the light and salt on this earth, as my chosen people, for my sake, to continue on the witness of Christ, because Christ will soon ascend up to heaven after he completes his work, and he will be seated at God's right hand, and we on earth will continue on where he left off for us. And then he says the first thing that must change in a believer's life is his relationship to God's word. And so... Jesus spent the rest of chapter 5 teaching, teaching God's word. And then he concluded by telling us, as far as a believer is concerned, your relationship with God's word must be kept perfectly. You look at chapter 5, the last verse. Be ye never perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We can keep the word of God perfectly for your information. Please understand this. What it means is this. When you and I sin, the way to keep the word of God is repent. That's what it means by keeping the word of God perfectly. All of us can, because we have this intense desire to obey every jot and tittle of God's word, Romans 7. And then the next relationship that God wants to teach us after salvation is verse 1 to verse 18. Your relationship with God, you learn to give now. You learn to pray. You learn to fast. And then the next relationship that Jesus wanted to highlight that must be found as a newborn babe in Christ, a new believer's relationship is with his possessions. And all of us have only two kinds of possessions. Everyone. The possessions that you already own, no longer must you serve it. You either serve God or mammon. You cannot serve both. And the possessions that you seek after, Matthew 6.33, you stop seeking after it now. Now you seek only God's kingdom and his righteousness and let your heavenly father add to you whatever he sees best. 
whereby your faith and your trust in Him will not be jeopardized by an oversupply of material things. Chapter 7. Our relationship with people. Do not judge censorious, even as you judge people. Make sure you take care of the beam in your own eye before you help a person take out the book in his eye. And if you are faced with difficult people, difficult circumstances, and you do not know how to make the right judgment, knock, and the door will be open. You pray. God will show you the way. All the relationships on this earth covered by Jesus Christ in this amazing, perfect sermon. With his word, with God, with your possessions, with people. Anything left out, none. And finally, Jesus says, please understand, the journey of salvation is narrow. The narrow way. What is the narrow way? New relationship with God's work, new relationship with God, new relationship with your possessions, new relationship with people. And if you follow this narrow way, with all these new relationships mentioned in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, then at the end of your life, it will be the narrow gate, everlasting life. But if you are not interested in all these new relationships, you still seek after material things. You have no desire for God's word. You are still stingy and don't feel like giving and you don't like to pray. And you still have mammon as your master controlling your heart and your life. You are now still on the broad way. But I want to be in the narrow way. You are still on the broad way. But I say I'm in the narrow way. You are still on the broad way. And at the end of your life, which is very soon, it will be the broad gate and it will lead to everlasting destruction. Because Jesus is never wrong. And he says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who can? He that what? Doeth continuously, non-stop, the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now where to find the will of God the Father in heaven? Because he's in heaven. How to do the will of God the Father in heaven while we are on earth? The Bible. The Bible. If you have no desire for God's word, how to do the will of God? Many will say to me, verse 22, in that day, what day? The day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name that is preached? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. These are the three hallmarks of an apostle. Jesus says, even if you claim to do the works of an apostle, and who are the ones who have the arrogance to claim that today? The charismatics. Lawrence Kong is called Apostle Lawrence Kong, the magician. It's on his website. And many of them have already given themselves that title. Jesus says, without hesitation, according to the Greek phraseology. And then will I profess unto them, immediately no hesitation. The moment, the last syllable of their claim, we have done this in your name, the many wonderful works, the moment the works came out, Jesus says, I will, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. Not even the slightest relationship. This will know that is personal, experiential knowledge. Oh, God knows everybody. That's cognitive knowledge. That's not the word that is used here. Verse 24, 27, even more scary. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do you know what is scary about these four verses? A similar situation. You find two persons inside the same church, listening to the same sermon, very sound fundamental sermons. And one of them is going to heaven, the other one is heading toward hell. Because both of them heard the same word, but one responded in obedience, the other one responded with, yeah, did you really say that, Lord? And he ends up in hell. That's how important your desire, my desire for the word of God is. And if you don't have this desire for God's word, urge you, pray the prayer of salvation all your heart, crying to the Lord, saying, I know I am a sinner, Lord, and I deserve hell because I have sinned against Him. I deserve to find myself in hell, but I come to Thee, O Lord, and beg You for mercy. Save me. Save me because You love me. You said You love me, and You love me by sending Jesus Christ to die for me. I know there is nothing lovely in me for You to love. And therefore, I come to you begging for mercy, Lord. Save me through the blood of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, out of all my sins. Say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. With all your heart, unconditional surrender, no holding back, no only one part of you, all must be surrendered to the Lord. Pray that the Lord will give this desire to you because it comes from the Lord. Just like the life of the child that comes out from the mother's womb comes from the Lord. To be born again comes from the Lord. You are born again alive in Christ. The desire for the word of God is your. The Bible says, desire is the of the word that he may grow thereby. You know, in Pandang, we have members who attend three or four Bible studies, including night classes every month. And one of the things I'm most fearful of is this. If the members attend three or four Bible studies every month, including FEDC, one day they're going to overtake me as a pastor. Is that not true? So if they attend three or four Bible studies every month, I must make sure I attend at least 10. So no matter what they do, they will never catch up to me. <laughs> Seriously. I must make sure that I am at least a hundred steps ahead of the most spiritual member in the church. And the more they study, the more they grow, the more they mature, the more they will catch up, the more I must run. I must never let them catch up. That is why the moment I stop studying, I will become redundant. I will become useless. One pastor said to the congregation after 20 years as their pastor, you know what he said that was so shocking? I've got nothing more to teach you. I've exhausted everything that I know from the scriptures, so I'm resigning. I'm going to let somebody take over. And that's exactly what he did in prayer. The problem was not God's word. The problem was sin. I'm not kidding. Because the Bible says, right? You desire the sincerity of the word, you will grow thereby. I can't help it. Just like the baby. 
keeps on feeding the baby, keeps on feeding the baby, keep on change, feeding more and more, then the person, the baby will grow up and then you will eat meat. You take a good look at yourself. Then you look at the baby. Once upon a time, you were that size. Now look at yourself. So many of you are tall and big. But don't forget, you did come out of your mother's womb this, this size, right? <laughs> you all like that. Bro. That's God's promise. If you keep on daily taking in the milk, sincere milk of the word, find a place, a Bible study where the word of God is properly taught. Alright, please be very mindful and careful. Nowadays with internet, you go out there and you click on any kind of speakers, you better be careful. You better be careful. There are four mega churches that are very big in Singapore. Ronnie Time up north. House Evangelism. On the east, you have FCPC, Lawrence Corn, the magician. On the west, you have Pompey, City Harvest. Now, on the south, the middle portion, you have Joseph Prince, the rock. Now, he purchased a $500 million project, joint hands with Capital Land. Four corners covered. I've heard Joseph Prince messages more than 200. Lawrence Corn, nearly about 100. Bonghi maybe about a few dozens, and same for the one up north, Ronnie Tan. Of the four of them, the most deadly and dangerous is Ronnie Tan. The least dangerous is Joseph Do you know why? Because Ronnie Tan, when you listen to him, is soft-spoken, but it's 75% correct. 75 to 80% correct. The more correctness in the sermon, the more biblical it is, the more deadly it is. Second is Lawrence Kong in terms of danger because he was a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary with a master's degree before he became a charismatic. Next is Bongi. No theological training, but a smart young man. Delivery, excellent. Content, shallow, about 50% right, 50% wrong. But the least dangerous is the guy down south, Joseph Priest. You listen to him without visual, just audio. He can't even frame a sentence properly. He can't even pronounce the words properly. He pronounced T-A-L-K at top. When I listen to him, I get so incensed or so upset and angry because he can't speak properly. His English is atrocious. So one day I said, what in the world does this guy have that can mesmerize 20, 30,000 people week after week when they have to queue up to enter his sanctuary? Then I went to the website and then for the first time, I watched him together as I listened to him. And it was a totally different experience. When you watch him, with his very, very distinguished government, he walked back and forth the entire state. You forget about his bad English. You forget about his singing. You forget about his pronunciation. The visual part captures. It is all part of the whole setup. I said he's the least dangerous because his interpretation is the least typical. Maybe 10%, 90% is nonsense. <laughs> I'm not kidding. 200 over messages of this fellow. And there was one time when I listened to him, I was so fed up, so angry. 
and I was driving, I was reversing the car, and I think I banged my car. I was even more angry with him because I could pay money to take my car because of him. I'm not kidding. All this happened. Okay? Because I have to give assignments when I teach charismatism in FEPC. And one of the assignments was to listen to a charismatic speaker and then give a critique. And then you have a class of about 60, 70 students. So they listen to one. In order for me to mark their paper, how many do you think I have to listen? Every single one of them. That's how I can chalk up 200 over. Because I've been teaching this for the past 20 years. <laughs> and so some of them, they listen to all kinds. I listen to all kinds in order to predict whether they predict properly. So I listen. Sometimes I listen to three, four of Joseph Prince messages. That is about three, four hours a day. And one time when I was teaching, I started to talk like him. <laughs> I was scared. I'm not, I was so scared. He was like, who's this silly place? Amen, amen. Then I, I stopped myself. I said, what has become of me? <laughs> I borrowed his phrase when I taught, taught in talk <laughs> when I taught in FEBC. Please, be very careful. That's why the Bible here says sincere milk of the word. It has to be sincere, pure, and clean, and healthy. And if you do not know how to discern, please don't just go onto the web and click and just listen. It is not for fun. Because what they say, if they are very convincing, it will penetrate into your head. And if you are convinced by it, it's going to mess up your mind and mess up your thinking. And you are finished. Because you then mess up thinking and you come into the church and you start spreading it as if it is a new brand of conviction that you have taught. And in fact, it is chaff. It is deadly and dangerous. And you think it is good. The leaders will have to come after you. Because now you are destroying the unity of the church by spreading false teaching. To you, it's not false. So please, there are many, many ways to destroy the church. And if you are not careful, you listen to the wrong word, the church could be destroyed. Wrong doctrine, no discipline, but you allow sin, such as adultery, all kinds of terrible sin to remain in the church. And then the third is unity. And that one, you know, I don't have to say anymore, is unity. Many ways to destroy the church. So when you do not have the sincere milk of the word, and you go out there and you think that this is good, you are dead. But if you have the sincere milk of the word, you will grow there by guarantee. Guarantee. Why? Because the basis is born again. It's so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That you have tasted what? That the Lord is gracious to you, that means your salvation. Your salvation is key. Your salvation is evidence by your love for God's word, genuine, sincere love to obey God's word, not just to memorize, but to memorize and understand and obey. The obey part is crucial. Remember, God did not give us his word for memorization. God did not give us his word to understand so that you can discuss it over the dining table, like the weather. God gave us his word for one reason only, and that is obedience. Obedience, that's it. Memorize good, but please memorize with understanding. And then when you memorize with understanding, the next step is obey. Otherwise, the first two steps are meaningless. That's the key. Why? Because you have tasted, past tense, you have already tasted what? The graciousness of the Lord. What grace of the Lord? That you are born again, salvation, blessings that you don't deserve. That's grace. Blessings you
you don't deserve that is salvation, you have already tasted it in your mouth, and therefore the result, you're born again in Christ, you want the sincere milk of the word. Therefore, you will become a chosen generation together as a body of believers. How do we know that? The final two verses. To whom coming? Now this coming is after salvation, you keep on coming. This coming is not the first time when you came to the Lord at the point of salvation. To whom coming, that is, keep on going to the Lord as unto a living stone, that's who you are, disallowed indeed of men, man doesn't care, but chosen by God, of God, and precious in the sight of God. That's who you are. Please do not call yourself, my good works are as filthy rags in the sight of God. That belongs to the old man as unbelievers. You are now precious to God. Please, you are now born again and therefore to God you are very precious because God has chosen you, same word, for chosen generation. Who chose you to become a chosen generation? Your heavenly father did. And you are precious to You think he will hurt you? You think he will do anything that will bring you down? Your heavenly father knows that he has placed you in this dangerous world where Satan is the prince. Do you think he will allow anything to hurt you or harm you? Never. Please understand this. You may experience pain physically, but you will and must understand all things will work together for your good. God will make sure of that. You must trust him. And you can't trust somebody that you do not know well. But if you know the person well, and only through the word of God, the more you know a person, the easier it is to trust why do you think husbands and wives' relationship falls apart? Because if they do not continue to share their lives with one another, they drift apart. And when they drift apart, they will become strangers. And once they become strangers, there's no more trust, no more communication. One night, when you were in America, I knocked on our door. When I opened the door, our classmate was there and he was downcast. Oh, he was six foot six, tall girl. Cover the entire door frame. But his face was downcast. I said, what happened? What happened? He said, something terrible happened in our family. I said, come in, sit down. What happened? Our parents just told all of us that they're going to divorce. They shared with us that they remain married for the sake of the children. And they agreed that the moment all the children have grown up and find their own spouses, they're going to divorce. And they did it. They just announced they are in their 60s and they have been married for 40 years and now they want to divorce because they said they have become strangers. They do not know each other anymore. Or they say the same other, they didn't talk, they didn't communicate. How to trust somebody that you don't even know? How can you and I trust our Heavenly Father when all we know about Him is John 3.16? Right? That's why it is so important that you know that you are chosen by your heavenly father and you are very precious to him and ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ that's who you are spiritual house lively stones stones that can give life not that you can give life but you can point people to Christ who can give life to them that's your life now when they look at your life in the past, they see only deadness. Because they see only materialism and carnality. But now they see Christ. 
the only Savior of the world that can save them just as they saved you. A spiritual house. Is this a spiritual house? Is BBC the real spiritual house break out? Or are you so concerned with the dollars and cents? Or oh, this property I was told has increased in value. Is this your concern? The only concern you must have is the spiritual life of everyone in the church. Nothing else. The building is insignificant and immaterial. The building is just a shell that provides you with a comfortable environment to study God's Word, to encourage one another in the faith, and that's it. Because the house of BPCWA has to be characterized by one thing, and that is spirituality, not carnality. And that's you, people. Not the chairs, not the pews, not the building. You can renovate it, you can spend millions on it, and it means nothing to the Lord when the people inside that are carnal. You're a spiritual house, unless and until you realize this in your heart. You're not going to feed yourself with God's word because the feeding of God's word will help you to grow, grow what? Spiritually. And you can't help it, but you will grow spiritually. And to offer up spiritual sacrifices as an holy priesthood. The only ones on earth that can pray and God will hear. Not only for your own needs, but also for the needs of others, God consider his enemies. But because of your relationship with him through Jesus Christ, God says, you can ask me to pray to help your unbelieving mom and dad, your unbelieving children, your unbelieving friends, when they are sick. God says, I will hear you. Why? Because you are the only priest on this earth right now who can become the mediators between me and man. The way the Levites and the priests did in the Old Testament. Now it is yours. And you can't if you are not soaked in God's word. Because you are ignorant. You do not know God's word. You will do what is right in your own eyes like in the period of judges. And the world, your world, will suffer. Because you fail to be their mediators as the only priests in your world. That God will hear. And because of your hands that are still stained by sin. Psalm 66 verse 18. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I have Bible studies practically every night. I share with you. Sometimes in the morning as well. There's one Bible study that is held every Thursday. Non-stop. The only time when we do not have Bible study is when I'm not in town or when the host who's holy use as a meeting or not at home. But other than that, we will have Bible studies non-stop every Thursday. I call this the Methodist Bible Study Group with permission from the Board of Elders because the home of the reuse of Bible study, the host was from or is from a Methodist church. They used to have their own pastors to do Bible study with them, but because their Methodist pastor, each time when they go there to do Bible study, they don't teach the Bible, they only ask them to give money. Every week, two, three thousand, six dollars. Yeah, they are quite well off, but they want to study the Bible, and so they tell them, their, their pastor, please don't come anymore. And so they will be done Bible studies for many months. They met their neighbor. The neighbor was a member of our church. He's a member of our church. And so they asked her, is it okay for your pastor to lead us in Bible study? And so she asked me, I said, can on two conditions. Number one, I will use the King James Bible. Number two, they must let me teach whatever the Bible says. 
they say okay. So I spoke with the board of elders and they say okay. This Bible study is like friend to friend. Please don't report this in your church. If you report in the church, the Bible study stops running trouble. This will also not be mentioned in our church. This is just I come to your house, teach you Bible study, and that's it. So I went there for the first time. He wanted to study the book of James. That was about eight, nine years ago. And this has been going on every Thursday since. And so the first few verses, it talks about that when you and I go through diverse temptations, we must learn to thank God because it will bring forth patience. Then right at the other end of the dining table where we had our Bible study, there was a family that I met for the first time. Father, a mother, and a boy. The boy at the time was about, I think, 15 years old on a wheelchair. So less than that, P4, P5. P4, P5 age would be what? Nine, 10 years old. Now he's already 19 years old. Then the mother raised her hand. I said, I find it very difficult to obey this verse in everything he says. I say, why? My son. He was a healthy young boy until he was about primary four. He's a very good student, within the top 5-10% in all school. He don't have to get any tinker. He knows his Chinese, his English very well, and he's a swimmer. He's very good in tennis. But one day when he came home, he had a terrible, terrible headache. He brought him to the GP. The GP says, just sudden, just let him rest. But the following day, before they could bring him to a specialist, he came home, he collapsed. Then he went into a coma. There was internal bleeding in his brain, right underneath. And so they tried to stop the bleeding. They had to shift the brain and then to stop the bleeding. The coma was still there. And there was an elderly lady who was a convert of Dr. John Soon. She was there at the hospital and she shared Christ with them. And the parents became believers because of the son's condition. They accepted Christ. And then the doctor came and asked them to sign the document for organ donation because they feel that there's no hope. So they signed, and lo and behold, when they tried to take away all the things that stuck onto the body of the boy, the boy woke up. The boy came out of the coma, and the boy lost the use of his motor skills. So he will be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. He can't use his legs. He can't use his hands. But his brain is still very sharp. Thank God, his brain is still very alert. And so he joined us for Bible study. So whenever I crack a joke, he will laugh. Whenever I ask questions, as years went by, he can answer. And so I, when the mother shared that with me, I said something very foolish. I said, isn't it better for you to have him with you than not to have him at all? That's a foolish thing to say, because they know. I did not realize that they know that they're going to look after their son for the rest of the son's life. And there will come a point in time when they will not be on earth anymore. So who will look after the son after they are gone? And that's why the father is very healthy, very fit. Every morning about 5 a.m. to wake up 6 a.m. to be at the gym to keep himself fit. Alright, he's a few years younger than me. Because he needs to now carry his son. Now his son is bigger than him, taller than him, maybe. And they live in a three-story, semi-detached house. And then the wife, the mother answered, I'm not so sure. I didn't know what to say after that. Thank God the father interjected and the father said, I can thank God because when I became a Christian, I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, please let me hear my son call me dad one more time. 
And then exactly one year after I made the prayer, when my son came out of the coma, he called me dad. He said it with a smile on his face. They never travel because the son still suffers for, from an epileptic fit anytime. So I started to teach them the book of James, we finished the book of James, we finished the Sermon on the Mount, we finished the book of Genesis, and now we are into the Gospel of John. One book at a time continuously for the past eight, nine years. And I can see the transformation in them. After a few years, the whole family transferred membership from Methodist to Anglican. I never asked them to. I just teach the Word of God, whatever the Bible says, I taught them. I showed them documents about Methodists inside the World Council of Churches. I just gave everything as it is. And now this man, the father, is one of our new teachers. I can see the transformation in their life. Three of them love to attend Bible study, even though they stay about 45 minutes drive from where we meet. They'll be the first one to be there, way or not. They will be there in the evening. And they will sit through FEBC two hours in the wheelchair. The boy loves to study for so sometimes they even come for the morning classes because the father's work is like a freelance inspector of special machines. And the Lord blessed them with good projects so that he can have time to do a lot of things serving the Lord. He's also in the prison ministry. But then when you look at them, there's always a smile on their face. They learn to trust in the Lord one day at a time. And all these I witnessed with my own eyes with a weekly, weekly study of God's Word without fear. And on top of that, other Bible studies as well. Now they are not only attending the Thursday, they are also attending the Wednesday study on the Book of Hebrews. They study now on Thursday, Gospel of John. They also attend night classes, one other Monday or Thursday. Then they also attend the Wednesday night Bible study on the Book of Hebrews. And then they will take the messages when I teach the book of Romans. They have an insatiable appetite and desire for the word of God. And if you look at their life, always very happy and cheerful. And the sun is still on the wheelchair. The word of God truly is the sincere milk of the word that can help us grow spiritually thereby. You can't help it. The power on this earth is the word of God. And the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and sound it into the heart and lives of one who is born again. It's like a good soul. It will bring forth good fruit. This is entirely the work of God. But the human responsibility part is you have to drop, let go of all this dirt in order for the Word of God to touch your heart and to help you grow thereby. Because you are the life who is born. You are the holy priesthood. You are the spiritual house that this world needs. That's exactly what they need from the chosen generation. Not a smart surgeon, not a brainiac, IT man. All these, the world has more than enough. What the world needs is spiritual, not material. So please stop focusing on the material and the carnal. Focus on spiritual, that's who you are from now on. Would you do that as God's chosen generation? Be holy, be fearful, be loving, keep on feeding yourself the word of God. Let us pray.